Please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. As I mentioned in the email this week, we're going to take some time over the next five or so weeks to look at uh, the first five chapters of the Psalms, uh, just taking a brief break from the Gospel of Matthew, and we'll return to it uh, here in just a few weeks. But also, we'll take some time uh, over these next few weeks to observe something that Christians throughout history really have done, which is to sing uh, from the Psalter, these psalms set to music uh, as God's hymn book. So I hope you'll um, really treasure that time. Well, let's take a moment now as an act of worship to read uh, Psalm chapter 1 in its entirety, remembering that this is God's holy and inerrant and infallible word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray. Oh, Lord our God, we thank You for Your word. We thank You that uh, since the dawn of time, You've caused men to set Your word down, to write it down, to record it uh, for the better preservation of Your church. And so we sit under it now, Lord, to learn from you. Give to the preacher true words and give to the hearers faithful ears both to listen and to bring forth the fruit of your word. We ask for Christ's sake. Amen. This psalm, uh, which many of you probably have memorized, maybe even from a young age, you could recite it word for word from uh, some translation or another. It, it's a treasure. It's one of those psalms that we go to, that we, we think of that picture of the tree that's planted by the rivers of water. We think about the man uh, sitting there day and night reciting to himself the words of the law. This psalm is fundamentally about blessing. We think just a few weeks back about how we went through the Beatitudes and and those Beatitudes teaching us the true nature of blessing. What is the ultimate blessing? How would you define it? Would you be comfortable defining blessing as a happy life. I think probably many of us would be uh, really hesitant to define it as a happy life because that opens it up, doesn't it, to 
any man's interpretation. Whatever makes you happy is then a blessing. That's not deep enough. We, we need a deeper, stronger word for the term uh, blessing. It, it seemed uh, deep enough for uh, the church father Augustine who said this, the happy life is joy based on the truth. You see that Augustine there is making the distinction that true happiness comes from joy that is based on the truth. In other words, if, if any sense of happiness that you have does not flow out of the inerrant and infallible truth of God's Word, it's fake. It is nothing more than an anesthetic. Today, I think not all people understand what blessing is. Many people, in fact, will claim blessing for themselves who in reality know nothing of God's blessing. But everybody understands what happiness is. In fact, we remember that Blaise Pascal said that even the man who hangs himself does so in pursuit of happiness. This is the ultimate aim of every man. So how do you obtain it? What, what is that foundation of happiness? Well, the psalmist here in this introductory psalm teaches us, I think, four principles. The blessed man rejects wickedness. He embraces godliness. He is rooted in Christ. And we could say this last one a couple of different ways. Either he is known by the Lord... Or we could take John's language from his gospel and say the Lord abides in him. The blessed man rejects wickedness, embraces godliness, is rooted in Christ, and is known by the Lord. These first two psalms, most think, are introductions. So they deal really with ultimate things. They are overarching psalms, Psalms 1 and 2. Psalm chapter 1 puts before you the ultimate and the final decision. Um, you've been faced with certain decisions throughout this week. Uh, do I clean my yard? Do I clean my neighbor's yard? Uh, this pine tree is covered with poison oak. Do I just leave it there? <laughs> and those decisions matter, they're important. But the psalmist in this introduction would remind you that there is one decision and only one, listen to me, there is one decision and only one that will define this life and the next life. And so everyone sitting in here must consider what the psalmist is teaching you. No one is exempt. And the first one, the first point that he teaches us from verse 1 is that blessed men reject wickedness. Notice what we read there. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, 
nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. He, he gives us three examples, three metaphors that we can relate to. First of all, a blessed man does not act on the counsel of the wicked. We get the picture of a man who's walking. And if you've read Colossians or even in John's uh, epistle, 1 John, they often talk about walking. And walking is a picture of having a habit of life. Here, it's taking the counsel of an ungodly man. Counsel in Scripture can mean plans. Uh, It can mean schemes. It can mean advice. And so he is teaching us not to take the plans or the advice of wicked men. Well, who are the wicked? Uh, Very simply, they are the guilty. In our terms, they are those who reject the God of Israel. They reject Christ. So in other words, if we boil this down, the first principle that we see is that blessed men do not heed the counsel of those who deny Christ. Well, what counsel? What advice? What schemes? Look at the passage with me. How does the psalmist define it for us? Uh, The blessed man is one who does not walk in the real estate counsel of the wicked. Uh, The blessed man is one who does not walk in the investment counsel of the wicked. The blessed man is one who does not walk in the college advice of the wicked. You, You see, he doesn't define it for us. Why? Because ultimately it applies to all counsel. Well, that seems a little bit broad. But what this psalmist is trying to remind us, and and listen, is that the fall does not just affect men's hearts with regard to theology and religion. Do you understand? That because God is the creator of the universe, and therefore because God is the creator of all truth, And everything that is true is true because God makes it true. He possesses it all. And so there is not a subject that should not ultimately lead us to the glory and the eternality and the existence of the one true God. And a wicked man starts from the premise that that God does not exist. Therefore, he cannot give you faithful counsel in anything. Now, this doesn't mean that God's common grace does not assist wicked men to, to get some kernels of truth, to have some practical wisdom. But in an ultimate sense, no wicked man knows anything truly. Let me say that again. No one who rejects Christ knows anything truly because all truth is God's truth. We think about the example of Rehoboam. 
Rehoboam had this, this one opportunity to make a wise choice. His father Solomon died. And Solomon left behind him some very wise counselors. You can think about the wisest man on earth and all of the men who surrounded him listening to Solomon's counsel. Rehoboam had the opportunity to listen to those men, to take Solomon's counselors. And so the people of Israel came to him. And they said, said, Rehoboam, your father beat us. He abused us. How are you going to treat us? And Rehoboam said, well, I think I'll phone a friend. Well, do you think that Rehoboam went to all of Solomon's counselors? He listened to them. And they said, listen to the people, Rehoboam. Rehoboam says, you know what, guys? I think I'm going to go check with my high school buddies. And so Rehoboam called on his high school buddies and they said, you know what, Rehoboam, here's what you say to the people. Say, my father beat you with whips, but I'm going to beat you with scorpions. And Rehoboam said, that sounds like good advice. And that's what he did. And God tore the kingdom from him. It it brought on civil war in Israel because he listened to these wicked counselors The blessed man discerns good from evil. And when he has the opportunity to receive counsel from an ungodly man or a godly man, he will always seek the counsel of the godly because they only possess the truth. But notice next, uh, secondly, he doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. Literally, this means that he doesn't begin to adopt their lifestyle. You know what happens when you begin to listen to the counsel of ungodly men? You follow that counsel. And when you begin to follow that counsel, you begin to behave as the ungodly. You imitate the actions of the sinful. Uh, Going back to Augustine, he he talks about this moment in his life where he, he was surrounded by all these buddies. And there was uh, somebody who lived in their neighborhood who had a beautiful pear tree in his backyard. And Augustine's buddy said, hey, pears on the tree, let's go grab the pears off of the tree and smash them on the ground. So Augustine said, I don't have anything better to do. So he went with the man, scaled the, the men, scaled the wall, took the pears, and they smashed all the pears on the ground just out of spite. And Augustine says this. He said, you know, if I hadn't been surrounded by all those ungodly young men, I might not have been persuaded to do that. Never underestimate the power of ungodly influence. When you begin to bend your ear to ungodly men... You're inclining yourself to influence them. And so the question comes back to us. Where am I being influenced more by culture than by Christ? Listen, what area of your life have you not yielded to the infinite wisdom of Almighty God? What decisions are you making where you haven't sought God's counsel in His Word and the counsel of the elders in your church? Where are you listening to wicked men? Lastly, this ungodly, or the blessed man, rejects 
the attitude of the scornful, or in some of your translations in the ESV, scoffers. He doesn't sit in their seat. We often think of a scoffer as somebody who looks, he puts his hand over his mouth and he laughs at other people. He is the one who's mocking other people. He's scoffing at them. In the Proverbs, the scoffer is presented as a man who is beaten for disobedience and does not listen. He's developed calluses on his backside. According to Proverbs 21, verse 24, he is the man who is arrogant, he's haughty, he has nothing to learn from nobody. Note the progression from listening to standing to sitting. What do you think the psalmist might have in mind? What perspective is he coming from? I think perhaps the psalmist has in mind a covenant child who's grown up in Israel, who's had all the privileges of this covenant community. He's had, maybe he's had a mother and father who've raised him in the way of God. And all of a sudden he finds himself at the Philistine border. And he's listening. What do they have to say? And suddenly he finds himself kind of like Lot, not looking at Sodom from a distance, but camped out just on the border of Sodom. And then suddenly, before he knows it, he is in danger of judgment himself. There is no such thing as neutral information. Is it any wonder that we have developed an entire system of education that separates truth from God? And yet we stand and scratch our heads as to why children are departing the faith in droves. All truth belongs to God. And wicked men are not to be the counselors of godly men. Let's notice secondly then, not only does the blessed man reject wickedness, but the blessed man embraces godliness. Look with me at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. A simple phrase that is packed with so much power. He not only reads the Word, you see, he's not only reading the Bible, he's taking time to read it, to digest it for himself, but he's delighting in it. It's it's a treasure to him. Every moment that he has to open the pages of God's law, to read from it, to be instructed by it, his heart is lifted up. And so he does it more and more. He meditates on this law. In the Hebrew, the idea of meditation is is not just sitting for a little bit and and thinking about it. Literally, 
the idea is to, to murmur to yourself. So, so you might take Psalm 1-1 and you say it over and over and over and over again. It's, that's meditating on the Word of God. It's re- repetitious uh, murmuring. In other words, for this man, do you, do you see what's happening? Is, is, he's not receiving his counsel from the ungodly. Scripture has become his, his counselor. Scripture is his counselor. What is this a picture of? Well, it's a picture of Christ. Christ is a king who shunned the counsel and the actions and the attitudes of sinful men. Instead, in the midst of that, the Lord Jesus Christ delighted to do His Father's will. This was His his food and drink was to do the will of the Father. And so the question we get from this psalm is, is this your delight? If we stop here and say, this is the definition of a blessed man, one who rejects wicked counsel, one who braces the Word of God as his delight, is that you? And the remainder of this psalm reminds us why that's so important. This is a life or death question. Thirdly, blessed men are rooted, not drifting. Verses 3 and 4, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Do you, do you know what the oldest living organism on the face of the earth is? It's actually a bristlecone pine tree that is estimated to be roughly 5,000 years old or extending back to the Roman Empire and beyond. The psalmist intentionally chooses an organism that in itself depicts long life. The the blessed blessed men are men men who are seasonally fruitful. In other words, they are flowing with the life of Christ. Christ is living in and through them. And so they are bearing the fruit of their salvation. They're not dead men. They're not husks, but they are vibrant men. And therefore always prosperous. Now, notice... That the psalmist is not pl- uh, promising you here that God is not that is removing the valleys of life. He's removing the afflictions of life. But when there are valleys, when there are afflictions, this man goes on bearing the fruit of eternal life. This is the blessed man. But he's contrasted with the wicked man. Look at the wicked man in verse 4. They are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. In Judges, when the angel came to Gideon, he found Gideon there at the threshing floor. And you might remember what Gideon was doing. He was taking his harvest. He had lain it there on the threshing floor and he was beating it. Not to punish it, but to remove the husk 
from the actual kernel, the, the, the fruit of that seed. And then the process was they would take that seed and throw it into the air and the wind would drive away the dead part. And they would be left with the seed. This is the picture for us. The wicked man lives in a dry and a rootless misery. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. John here is reflecting on the original command that we should love one another, the command that extends all the way to creation, the command that Cain broke, not just in murdering Abel, but in hating him. That's verse 11 to 12. Verse 13 of 1 John 3, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Now notice this phrase. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. And here, whoever does not love abides in death. The picture that you can make for your children is an unregenerate man is like a zombie. He he looks alive on the outside, but inside he is full of dead men's bones. He might clean himself up occasionally on the outside, but really he is dry and rootless. This stability, the blessed man who is rooted and not drifting, this stability, it depicts our life in Christ. Remember in 1 John, or John chapter 15, Jesus is the true vine. You and I as believers, we are anchored to him and his life flows in and through us. Lastly, fourthly, blessed men are known by the Lord. Look with me at verses 5 and 6 back in Psalm chapter 1. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This psalm comes with its own conclusion, doesn't it? Blessed are the men who are known by the Lord. We see in verses 5 and 6, the end of the wicked. They will not stand in the judgment. They will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. Right now, we live in a time where the righteous and the wicked are mixed together. You think of the parable that Jesus told of the wheat and the tares. We live in a time where the wicked worship alongside the righteous. But but one thing that we have to know is that there's coming a day very soon when God will make a distinction The wicked will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. The psalmist is saying, look, you may think that this is all a triviality, that I, perhaps as an old man, am just uh, standing here on my soapbox telling you what I think. 
Actually, what I am telling you has eternal consequences. You must take this psalm and determine where you stand. Or in other words, take this psalm and determine where you will stand. If you think that you will stand forever in the congregation of the righteous, why? If you think that in the age to come you will be one who delights in the word of God, why don't you delight in it now? If you are seeking to delight in the Lord's Word now, that's an assurance then that you will delight in the Lord's Word in eternity. Notice though, lastly, under this fourth point, that blessed men are known by the Lord. Let's notice in verse 6, the end of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. That's more than just saying that he knows the next step that you're going to take, a Psalm 139 idea. He knows you. God delights in those who delight in him, we learn from James 4. This is more than a metaphor, this is reality. And the lack of these benefits, the benefits of redemption in this life, they point to a fatal entrance into eternity. Take this seriously. To be apart from Christ, not rooted in Him, in this life, means that you will be apart from Him in the life to come. Augustine, it goes on, he says, the happy life is joy based on the truth. He says this, This is joy grounded in you, O God, who are the truth. My illumination, the salvation of my face, my God, this happy life everyone desires. Every single person desires it. Joy in the truth, Augustine says, everyone wants This happy life is only obtained one way, through union with Jesus Christ. In Him, as we meditate on His Word, in other words, as His mind becomes ours, as we think His thoughts after Him, we obtain the blessed life. And we have to remember that our instinct is not to honor Him. It is to honor ourselves. So if you want to learn to honor Christ, you must do one thing. Take up and read. Learn from your Bible. Let's pray. Father, the Scriptures are not a treasure. They are not a wage. They are not a payment. They are a gracious gift. Lord, far too often we treat them like they are dead. As though your word once spoke, but doesn't anymore. 
The infinite God of the universe can have nothing to say to the problems of this generation. Father, forgive us for thoughts like these. We ask that you would send us the renewing power of your Holy Spirit that we might be blessed men who reject wickedness, who embrace godliness, who are rooted and living and who are known by you. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.